Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the, the preacher here, the minister here at Alliance Christian Church. Um, today we're going to not be looking at the book of Philippians. If you've been here a, a minute, we've been... Did it? Did it? Okay, was it just me? Did it feel like we spent a long time in the book of Philippians? It didn't? Okay, it felt like a long time for me. There was... Toward, I, okay, full disclosure, towards the end there, after 10 sermons through, I was getting towards the end and I was like... Okay, here we go. Still in Philippians. It felt like a long time for me, at least. That's a long time to be in one one book. Um, but I'm glad it didn't feel that way for you. Um, I, I like when we get to study the scriptures in depth like that. Um, what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks after my, my drill weekend next week, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the book of Ruth. Um, and we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit and, and we're going to go through a little bit quicker so we're not going to be in the weeds as much. But we're going to look at Ruth, we're going to have um, some look at some of the prophets, and then we're going to look at the gospel according to John. But today, I want to talk about what kind of church Alliance Christian Church is. So I want to kind of have that on our mind as we go to God in prayer and we kind of just dive into the question, what kind of church is this? So I invite you, please please pray with me. Father God, we, we thank you so much for just giving us your word. We thank you so much for giving us your church. God, I just ask as we study your word, as we look at what our church looks like, that you would just help us to to always have your word be our guide. Father, we thank you that that you've given us the your son. We thank you for the sacrifice that that he has made all of this possible for us. Father, I ask that you would help with be with me, that you would help me to handle your word faithfully, that my words would be clear and concise um, so that people would hear your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. What kind of church is this? Uh, I, was, I was talking this morning. This is a perfect time to be a first-time visitor here at Alliance or a second or third time visitor here at Alliance. This is like, if you want to come here, this is the time you want to be here because you're going to get everything put out right in front of you um, right off the bat. So what, I, get, I get, actually get asked this question quite a bit. What kind of church is Alliance Christian Church? Especially if I tell people like, oh yeah, I'm a preacher at a church up in Alliance. And they'll be like, oh, what kind of, what kind of church is it? And usually my, my response is I'll say, well, we're just Christian. We're just a Christian church. And they'll say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But what, like, you know, like, what kind of, like, denomination, like, what, what kind of church is it? And I'll respond again. I'll say, no, 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 we're just Christian. We're not any of the, you know, denominational groups or anything. We're just Christian. Sometimes that works, and sometimes they go, okay, so is that, like, Luke? Or and I'm like, no, 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 we're just we're just Christian. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, just Christian, just Christian. And I get the, I see the look, I see the wheels turn, and they're like, so is that like Protestant then? And it's usually at this point where I say non-denominational, right? We're just a non-denominational church. Um, but that doesn't. I don't think that really spells it out quite quite well because like when I picture a non-denominational church. Usually what I picture is like a church and the name is like the Church of the Living Waters on the Rock of the Meadow Brook, something, like they have the names that are like, it sounds like a golf course, you know? 
And a non-denominational, like their pastor's name is Chad, and he's really cool because he wears sandals, you know. Like that's what, that's what you get in your head when you think a non-denominational church. And that's, that's not really it either. Um, the church on the rock of the Meadowbrook, whatever, with Chad. I'm sure Chad's a nice guy. And so what I want to do is, is I kind of want to just spell out what kind of church this is. So if you've been around a while, this might be old material. You might be falling asleep there, but I encourage you, stay with me. I think this is important. If you're new or you're, if you haven't been here for a while or if you just need a little bit of a refresher, I think this is going to be good um, for us to kind of affirm our identity as Alliance Christian Church. I want to clarify the history and the principles and the practices of ACC. And so to do that, I want to, I want to, I want to turn to the book of John. And I want to read a, a passage from the book of John just to kind of set the tone. This is from John chapter 17. This is the prayer that Jesus prays right before he's arrested. And in fact, this section of the prayer comes right, right before his arrest. So this is John 17. I'm going to start in verse 16. Jesus says, They, he's talking to his disciples and he's praying to the Father, they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, and I set myself apart on their behalf so that they too may be truly set apart. He says in verse 20, he says, I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony that they will all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. He says, the glory you gave to me I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. I think this prayer of Jesus really kind of sets the backdrop for when we talk about what kind of church we are. I want you to notice here, there's three things that Jesus is really concerned about in this prayer, in this section of prayer. Number one is that his followers are not of the world. There's something different. There's something unique. There's something set apart from the world. Number two, there's this oneness, this unity. Father, I pray that my disciples would be one just as I am in you and you are in me. And then there's this this aspect of truth. He says, I want you to set my disciples apart in truth. Your word is truth. So there's this not of the world, this unity and truth is kind of the, the desire of Jesus right before he's arrested and goes to the cross. So with that as the backdrop, I want us to be thinking about what kind of church we are. And I thought it might be helpful to kind of talk about what we're not and rule out what we are not as a church. So I've got a little list of of we are not statements. Um, And the first one is Alliance Christian Church is not a Protestant church. This one might be the first one that kind of just goes, whoa, wait, what? Not Protestant. I thought that was all that there was. Well, I want to think about this word Protestant, right? The word comes from protest. The word means to protest. So if you go back into church history and you think 1500s, you've got the Catholic Church in Europe. There's this guy, 
by the name of Martin Luther. He's a, he's a German priest in the Catholic Church, and, and you guys are going to get really back of the napkin history, just so you know, so I'm going to skip over a whole bunch. But basically, Martin Luther starts looking around at the church and the things that they're doing, and he's like, um, hey guys, I found this book, and, and, and I thought it might be a good idea if we'd read the book instead of doing all the stuff that we're doing here, because we're doing a lot of stuff that's not in this book, and I've been reading this book, and I really think that maybe we should, we should maybe do this stuff. What if we like reformed the church, and we did things based on this book? And that went over like a lead balloon. They kicked him out. They didn't, it didn't go well. He had this protest against the church, and eventually the Luther and his followers kind of split off from the church in this Protestant Reformation as a protest to the Catholic Church. And so I, I guess I want to make it clear that we at Alliance Christian Church are not really interested in protesting anything. That's not really why we're here. But he had this idea. What if we just went back to the Bible? And it was a great idea on paper, but what really ended up happening was that all of these other people in the church started looking at what Luther did, and they're like, oh, did he just start his own church? You can just do that? Well, we want to protest. And so then they broke off and started their own churches. And so what you ended up having, instead of fixing the church, instead of reforming the church, you had all of these groups that split off. These, um, you had the Lutherans, you had the Methodists, you had the Anglicans, you had the Presbyterians, and everybody was protesting the Catholic Church until you get to the point where there's these thousands and thousands of different denominations of Christianity, all of which are claiming to be the true church, the true lineage. That's a problem. There's lots of them. You have the church, and it's just fractured like a vase. You just drop it on the ground, and it's shattered. Which leads me to our next not statement. We are not a Protestant church. We are also not a denomination or a denominational church. Um, so if we define Protestant, it means to protest. Uh, these Protestant denominations, the word denomination means to, to basically have a common name, right? Denote, denomination, has name in the name of it. And so a, a denomination, by definition, is a religious organization that, that has a common name, everyone shares the same name, a common creed or confession or statement of faith, and a common government structure or hierarchy. You can think of a denomination as those three things. They all share the same name, so no matter where you go, they're going to have the same name. They all have a creed or a, a something that they recite that is their statement of belief, and they're all going to have this structure, hierarchy, where they all know who falls under who, and, and that's kind of how it works. Well, there's all these churches in, in Europe from all of these different denominations, which were usually, generally they were just of whatever country. Right? The Presbyterians were basically the Church of Scotland. The Anglicans were the Church of England. The Lutherans were the Church of Germany, right? And you had all of these national churches. Well, as as the United States became a thing and people started coming over, you had all of these different denominational Christians coming over, commingling, and they kind of looked around at each other and were like, well, this is a little bit silly, isn't it? Like, we're England's official church, but we're all out here on the frontier together in our covered wagons. And so what you ended up having were these, these ministers from the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church 
who basically had the same thought that Luther did, where they were looking around and they were like, hey guys, I, I found this book. What, what if we just started doing what was in the book instead of all of our denominational structures and all of our hierarchy and all this other stuff? It was the same idea. And so what you ended up having were, were these ministers and reverends and whatever they called themselves from these different denominations independently started leading their own congregations and churches just based on the Bible. They're like, we're not going to do all the structure, all the hierarchy, all of the, you know, who's the president and the co-president and we're the, the Western Orthodox non-light burger version of the Southern Baptist Convention of 1983. And if you're of the same thing, but it's the convention of 1882, well, we're going to have a problem, right? They were like, that's silly. What if we just did the Bible thing? And so all these independent people from all of these different churches started going back to the Bible. And what's funny is, as time went on, they started to meet each other, right? They were sick of these denominational structures with a common name and a common government and common creeds and they're going back to the Bible, and they start meeting each other, and they're like, hey, you're doing the Bible thing? I'm doing the Bible thing. You're doing the, I'm doing the Bible thing. We could get together, and we could form like a group. We could all, oh, it would be great. Why don't we get together, and we'll kind of, we'll elect leaders, and we'll come up with this statement of, of faith, and we can all be united, and, and we can call ourselves the same name and have this, this statement that we all do, and we'll be, and it took about maybe eight months before they kind of stopped and they went, wait a minute. We just did the thing, didn't we? We, we were protesting our denominational churches. So then we got together and when we, in protest, we made a new denomination, didn't we? We just did that. We Did we do that? We, we definitely did that. And so they, they actually closed the church. They put out a statement that said, we, we hereby wish that, that our group, they called it the Springfield Presbytery because they were mostly from the Presbyterian Church, where they, we declare that we want to just shut down this church and sink into union with the rest of Christianity. Um, and it was this moment that non-denominational, biblical-based Christianity was kind of born. Because they realized that what they were doing in their structures, they were just causing more splits and more divisions. They were making the problem worse instead of making it better. And so they said, why don't we throw off all of these human structures? We'll let the churches organize themselves at the local level, and let's just be Christians. Not Methodists, not Lutherans, not Anglicans, not church of this, church of that, church of this. Let's just be Christians only. And they were like, and all these creeds, all of these creeds we have to, you know, recite based on our, you know, you got the Nicene Creed, the Apostolic Creed, the Westminster Confession, the Baptist Confession of Faith, the Osberg Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism. These were all different creeds and statements that each denomination had that you had to recite and agree to in order to be a part of their group. And they were like, seriously, though, why don't, why don't we just do this? So that way we're not getting together and saying, well, did you do the Heidelberg Confession or the Osberg Confession? Because I need to know which confession. And they're like, what if our creed was Christ and our book was the Bible? And then that's it. 
And so it's, it's out of this radical, at the time it was a very radical idea that, that churches like Alliance Christian Church kind of flow out of. This, this flow of thought that says, let's just be Christians, let's just look at the Bible. Because basically all of the denominational structures and all the splits and all the creeds were attempts to fix something, to reform something, right? You know, the Protestant Reformation. And they basically said, let's not reform anything. We're not a reformed church. We're not trying to fix anything. We didn't split off of anybody that we were trying to correct. We're not trying to take this broken system and try and patch it up and make it better and reform it. What we're doing is we're, we're looking at the Bible and specifically the New Testament, and I'll talk about that in a minute, Because what you get in the New Testament is a snapshot of the first hundred years of the church. And we're saying, let's just go back and try to restore that. We're not a reformed church. We're trying to be a restored church. That's important. That's a difference. That's like, rather than fixing up the house that's broken, where we try to patch the windows and do all of that stuff, we're like, let's go back to the blueprints. Let's go down to the foundation and start from scratch and just build a church based on the Bible. And so I kind of want to talk about, with that little bit of history in our our back pocket, I want to talk about some general principles that that Alliance Christian Church is is kind of based on. This is where you get into the nitty-gritty of, of, if you want to call it theology, or, or what we believe as a church, what our principles are. And so the first principle is that we are a New Testament church. This is important. This is really important. First off, I want to I make clear that when we say we're a New Testament church, that does not mean we don't like the Old Testament. It doesn't mean we don't read the Old Testament. It doesn't mean we don't believe it's God's Word. It's all God's Word. But what we mean is, If we want to get a picture of what the earliest church was like and restore what Jesus intended Christians to be, we should look at the part of the Bible that describes what Christians were and what they did. So this section of my Bible is all about Jesus and the people who followed him. This section of my Bible is all about the Jewish people and everything that led up to Jesus. We're not restoring ancient Judaism. We're not under the old covenant. Paul says we're not under the law. And so what we do is we, when we look at the Old Testament, we read it as God's word. We try to get a picture of what character God has. We try to understand the principles that, that God lives by. But when we want to know what we do and how we organize ourselves and what kind of things we should be doing and not doing, this is a picture of what the church was. So what you're going to find is that everything we do, even little things that you might not have thought about, comes from a principle or an example or a command in the New Testament. That's that's a good thing. Especially when you think about, in a lot of places, the New Testament either fulfills something that was in the Old Testament, or it, it, it establishes that it's no longer valid for Christians, right? So... Food laws, in the Old Testament, you hear a lot about food laws, but 
the New Testament says all foods are now declared clean. So we don't go back to the Old Testament to talk about how we should eat. It's just silly. Um, tithing is another example. The act of, of being compelled to give 10% of your income, that's an Old Testament practice. The New Testament says in 2 Corinthians, each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So even the way we give is radically different in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. The New Covenant says we're not tithers, we are cheerful givers. Those are just some principles that we get from the New Testament. Um, Another sort of statement of who we are is, and I've kind of alluded to this, we are Christians only. We're not this type of Christian or that type of Christian. We are only Christians. So the reason why our name is Alliance Christian Church, which is kind of a boring, bland, generic name. It's not the church on the river of the rock or something really cool like that, like Alliance Christian Church. Number one, the reason we are named that is because it's from the New Testament from the Bible. So I'm going to throw some scripture up on the screen, and, and I'm not going to read all of these. And I have handouts in the back I forgot to mention that's got all of these. So if you want to kind of look at those on your own time, but we're going to just scatter like scripture after scripture to kind of lay the point of, of what we do. So if you look at Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Romans 16, 16. These are all these different examples of what the church was called in the New Testament. You have followers of the way. We actually have a church. There's a church in Scottsbluff called West Way Christian Church that comes from that name. We have churches of Christ. Um, in Acts chapter uh, 11, they're called Christians at Antioch. Um, sometimes the followers are just called disciples. And a lot of times when Paul writes a letter, he just says, I'm writing to the church in, and then he says the name of the town. Right? Those are all biblical names for churches. In fact, I sometimes when I'm talking about this church, I will say, oh yeah, we're the church in alliance. Um, we're the church that meets at alliance. And I say that, one, because it's, it's sometimes quicker to say, and other times it's like, well, that's, that's what Paul would have called us if he wrote us a letter. He just said, I'm writing to the church in alliance. So that's the first reason why we have such a bland, generic name like Alliance Christian Church, because it's biblical. The second reason, and I think this is important, is we want to signal to the community that we are just Christians which means you're welcome here regardless of what denominational background you came from, what church you were raised in, any of that. You're welcome here. We are the all-encompassing Christian church because in the scripture that I read earlier, there's only one church. There's not 34,000 different churches. There's 34,000 different denominations, but Christ established one church, and we are a part of that one church. Here's another not statement. We are not the only Christians. This is another important one. Sometimes when somebody says there's only one church, what they mean is, like, it's us and not you. So you got to be careful when, when somebody stands in the pulpit and they say, Christ only instituted one church, and we're that church. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean if somebody goes to that congregation that meets right over there that we're good friends with are they not part of us 
Or if somebody lives in another town and they go to another congregation over there, are they not part of the one true church? And so I want it to be clear that Alliance Christian Church is not the one true church. We're not part of any group that thinks we are the one true church in this sort of network. Um, We don't even think that denominational churches, like we, we spend a lot of time with the Baptist church over here, we don't even think that denominational churches are not part of the one true church. The the one true church that Christ established is the fellowship of all of those who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior and who are trying to follow the truth that he gave us in his word. That's it. If Christ is your Lord, if you are reading the Bible, if you are doing what Jesus says, you are a Christian, congratulations, you're part of the church. So we don't have, like, when, when you're baptized, for example, you don't have to be baptized in order to be a member. That's not how that works. You have to be a member by showing up, and you're a member of this particular geographic outpost of Christ's church. Um, and so we, we try to be ecumenical is the term. We try to work with other churches. We try to work with, um, that's one thing I try to do a lot. I try to reach out to other different churches in town and say, hey, let's do stuff together. Let's do a VBS together. Let's, do a, um, let's have dinner together. Um, with this goal of being united in Christ. Which is my next statement here. We are a united church. When you think about unity, there's, there's two different ways you can have unity. You guys might have heard me say this before. There's the version of unity that says, I'm going to make you all united in whatever it is that I think. Right? That's where you have a president or a bishop or a leader or somebody at the top, and whatever they say is the truth, and as long as everybody just agrees with them, well, then congratulations, we're all united. Um, that's the bad way to be united. That's unity through authority. The better way to be united is to be united around Jesus' authority, where We say our authority comes from God's word, not some human institution or person up at the top. And so I have have a running open invitation in all of my sermons um, for you to disagree with me every single Sunday. In fact, I, I actually kind of enjoy it. With the caveat that if I say something that you don't like or I say something you disagree with, I do expect you to have your Bible and be able to point to something as to why. And just say, like, I don't disagree with you because your face looks funny and I don't like you. And I'm going to be like, okay, I guess that's fine. But you bring your Bible up and say, yeah, you said this, but I noticed here in Galatians it says this. What do you make of that? And then we'll sit down and we'll look at our Bibles together and we'll come to a conclusion with God's word as our authority. And I'm not afraid of being wrong. I, I've, it's known to happen a couple of times. This is unity through humility where we all kind of agree to just submit to what the Bible says, and then we put our pride aside and and we're willing to be wrong. So I want to talk about that and that kind of principle that we have of of everything we do is based on the Bible, based on the New Testament, and I want to kind of bring up a couple of issues we might have. For example, what are we supposed to do as Christians when we get to a part or a question that the Bible doesn't talk about? I think that's important. If our principle is the Bible only, well, then what do we do on all the stuff the Bible doesn't talk about? Well, likewise with unity, there's two ways to deal with that. There's the first way that says, 
If it's not in the Bible, then it's not allowed. In other words, it's this view that the Bible is a list of things you're allowed to do, and if it's not here, then we don't do it. Well, that can go off the rails real quick. I can list on one hand in the first couple of seconds a list of things in this room that are not in the Bible. That speaker, those chairs, that guitar over there. Um, I mean, you name it. There's a ton of things that aren't talked about in the Bible. And so I think this method of how we deal with silence in the Bible is it really causes more division than not. And so what we do as a church is we say if it's not in the Bible, then that means we have liberty. We are uh, given sort of permission, if that makes sense. And so it's little things like, uh, we want to do another VBS this summer. Well, they don't talk about VBSs in the Bible. Should we do it? Well, yeah, we're glorifying Christ. There's no law against it. There's no thou shalt not do a VBS for the children of the community. So yeah, let's do it. And this is the principle of, of if where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, we remain silent. Or said another way, if the Bible doesn't speak, we don't either. So you're never going to have us make a rule or, I mean, I don't make a whole lot of rules anyways because they're all in the Bible, but I'm never going to stand up and say, you need to do X or you're not allowed to do X if I can't find a scripture to back it up. I think that's important. You would not believe how many... How many people will stand up in the pulpit and say, you shan't do X, Y, Z, and I'm like, well, find me a verse. It's great that you feel that way, but find me a verse that says why I can't do that. So that's, I think that's another important principle um, for how we are as a church. So there's our history, there's our principles, and now I want to get into the practices. Because um, every church says, like, oh, we follow the Bible, and that's great. But what I, I want to kind of do is just lay out the specific things we do that are based on these principles. So the first of which is how we organize our structure, right? We talked about before, we don't have this hierarchy, we don't have a president, we don't have a bishop or anything at the top. Um, when you look at the New Testament in, here's, I'm going to rattle off some verses, they're all on that paper in the back, James 5.14, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 5.1, 1, Acts 14.23, Titus 1.5, Acts 11.30, it's a lot. Sorry. There's so many of these slides. We see that the church in the New Testament is run by this plurality of elders, or they're sometimes called overseers or pastors, or um, bishop is actually the term that comes from that overseer. And that's, who it, that's what Ron and Stu are. They are our elders. And so they are this, the, the people that, that sort of oversee how the money gets spent, um, they oversee the, I mean, just little things. They hired me, right? They, they kind of oversee and run the church. And so if you want to know what to call Ron and Stu, you can call them Ron and Stu. Their title would be elder. You can call them pastor, shepherd, overseer. You could technically, it's biblical, you could call them bishops. But I got a feeling they probably wouldn't like to be called bishops, but it might be funny for a day or two to just call them our bishops. <laughs> Sorry. And you also see in the New Testament, this other group of, of people in the church, and this is for, get ready, Romans 16.1, 1 Timothy 3.8, 1 Corinthians 3.5, Ephesians 6.21, Acts chapter 6, Philippians 1.1 1, 1 again, that there's these, 
deacons or ministers or servants, as, as the, the word is called, they're diakonos, um, who are also leaders in the church. And that's what I am. I'm a minister. I'm a servant. I'm a deacon. Um, I'm a, an evangelist, you might say. So in, in the book of Acts chapter... Oh my goodness, I've got so many of scriptures that I lost count of all of them. I think it's 13. You have Philip the evangelist who was one of the deacons, right? So that's my role. So that's one way we, as a church, we just say, you know, let's just look at our structure and how we do things and let's just do it from the Bible. Uh, Another way that we kind of live by New Testament principles is what we do in church on a Sunday. So Acts 2.42 says they were devoting themselves, these are the first Christians, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's this, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and a prayer. I mean, that's, that's what you're going to get every time you come here. We're going to read from the Bible. We're going to spend time and hang out with one another in fellowship. We're going to pray, and we're going to break bread. That's communion. And so one of the things we do here as a church, we take communion every Sunday when we come together. You look at Matthew chapter 26, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Acts 2, 42, Acts 2, 46, John chapter 6, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. You see this picture that the early church, every time they got together, they broke bread. They took the Lord's Supper. That was part of church. And so we don't do the thing where we're like, oh, let's just do it once a month. No, this is important to us because we want to remember Christ's sacrifice, so we do it every time we gather. I would say even we have room to grow on that. I would would like to see us, every time we meet on a not Sunday, take the Lord's Supper together in in Acts 2.46, it says they were breaking bread daily. That's how important it was to the early church. Another place where we try to pattern ourselves after the New Testament is how you become a Christian, how you join the church. Whew, this is a long one. I'm kind of regretting this whole giving a list of scriptures, but I want to make clear that we're doing New Testament. All right, you warm up my voice. Acts 8, 12, Acts 8, 36, Acts 16, 33, Acts 22, 16, Romans 6, 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Galatians 3, 27, Colossians 2, 12, 1 Peter 3, 21, all describe the way you become a Christian, the way you enter into the church is through baptism. We have this baptistry back here. All of these show that when, when in the early church somebody was like, hey, I believe in Jesus, what should I do next? They were like, you should be baptized. And so we as a church, we don't do the thing where we're like, we're going to say a little prayer or, you know, that we're going to have a little card that you read off that says, you know, the sinner's prayer and stuff. We go back and we look at the New Testament and we're like, well, it sure looks like every time somebody became a follower of Christ, they were baptized. It was kind of part of the package. And so that's what we do. This is one of those ones that I, I understand that if you're from a different church background, this one might actually be a little bit jarring to you. Um, that we look at baptism as a part of the way you become a Christian, a part of the way you put your faith in Christ is being baptized. And I just want to say, if you're in that camp, if, you're, if you grew up and, and you heard like, no, 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 don't ever do that. Don't ever become baptized to become a Christian. Um, what I don't want you to do is to walk out of here and just say like, ah, well, never going back there again. Like if you have questions, if you disagree Bring your Bible up, and let's look at it together. Um, 
find me or one of our elders after church and let's talk about this baptism thing and what the Bible says it means. Um, or come on Tuesday nights and we can talk about it. Give me a call. My number's on the sign outside on the board. If you really want to know why we practice baptism as the way you become a Christian, we'll read the scriptures and we'll all kind of submit to what the authority says. So those are just some kind of general principles. I do want to talk about pitfalls with this method. For example, you might be wondering, well, if we pattern ourselves after the New Testament, like, do we have to do every single thing that's in here? Like, the New Testament, they had household slaves. In the New Testament, they, they only got baptized in rivers. In the New Testament, they only met in houses. In the New Testament, they sent each other letters to different churches. Like, the question I think it's, it's fair to ask is, how much of the New Testament do we do? I mean, do we have, I don't see any women wearing head coverings in here. And so I, I think what we have to understand is that as we're reading the New Testament, there's a difference between seeing one thing that happened one time and seeing a pattern of the way the church acted again and again and again and again. Right? You saw the big scattergun list of verses that I have. We're not going to make a rule off of one rare instance that it's only mentioned one time and never again. And it, Like, that doesn't make any sense. But there are certain things that you can find all over the New Testament that you're fairly convinced. Like, oh yeah, this seems like it was the rule, not the exception. So that's a principle. And then the other thing is, is I think we as a church should be reading our Bibles and, and constantly assessing what we do as a church. I would love it if, if at least every other week somebody brought their Bible up and said, you know, I noticed in the book of Acts the church did this, and we're not doing that. You think maybe we should start doing that? Sure, let's look at it. Let's, let's kind of use our discernment and use our judgment and look at the Bible. So an example that I had, I woke up in, in the dead of night. I swear this happened. And I said, in the book of Acts, when somebody became a Christian, they were baptized, and then a lot of times they did what's called laying on of hands. And I legit, I, like, I woke up and I was like, do we need to do that? Do we need to do this laying on of hands thing? And so I got in my Bible and I looked through and I kind of studied and I, I asked questions and I was like, eh, I guess it didn't happen all the time. And so, I, you know, you use your judgment, use your discernment. Um, I think the bigger principle is that we have a desire and a, uh, an eye toward wanting to be a New Testament church. We're not going to do it perfectly. But I do think that if, if there's something that you see that we're doing as a church and you think that it doesn't line up with the New Testament, bring it to our attention and we'll see if we need to change something. Um, a couple other practices, ways that we're a New Testament church that I think are actually really cool. Some of these are ways that we pattern ourselves after the New Testament that weren't even on purpose. Maybe they were, I don't know. But um, we almost every single week share a meal together. I was thinking about that. Once a month we do our fellowship dinner here at the church, but I can guarantee you right after church today we're all going to go to Arby's or Runza and we're all going to share a meal together. It's just kind of what we do, 
It's not a rule that we instituted, but we're so invested in the New Testament church that we kind of just fell into this practice of we all share a meal together. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 and Acts chapter 2, you see that the early church, they ate meals together. That's something they just did. They kind of acted like a family. They went out to dinner together. They went out to lunch together. They took the Lord's Supper with a meal, like they actually broke bread and, and ate real bread. And, and that's something that we've done, and as we grow, I want us to continue doing that. I know as a church grows, it becomes more and more difficult to be able to, you know, we all just share a meal together, but that's something that I really think that us as a church, we should keep doing. We should figure out what we need to do to continue eating meals together. Another way that we are a New Testament church is, is just by the way we, we go through the Bible. Um, I preach straight through books of the Bible. That's on purpose. Today is an odd day. I don't like to do topical sermons. I usually like to have a book. Next week, two weeks, we're going to start Ruth. And we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 4. This is just one little way that I can submit to the Bible because what that means is I don't get to pick my own little pet projects to preach about because in three weeks we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 and that's what we're going to look at because we picked a book and we're not going to skip the parts we don't like. We're not going to skip the parts that we don't want to talk about and we're not going to dwell on the parts that we really do like in the Bible. We just pick a book. We go through it, top to bottom, and we just explore what it says. That's another little way we can be a, a Bible-based church. This third one is actually makes me laugh. You have in the New Testament this practice of what's called itinerant preaching. You think of Timothy, Barnabas, Paul, Luke. All of these people were traveling preachers, itinerant preachers, who they weren't a part of the official church structure, but they went to the church and they preached. And we actually accidentally fell into the practice of the New Testament practice of having itinerant preachers because I'm in the uh, Army Reserves. Once a month, I go down to Denver and we have a traveling preacher who comes and gives a word, either Richard, one of our students from Summit Christian College, or sometimes we'll have another student from the college, or sometimes a professor will come down. And so I, I just think it's cool that because we're the kind of church that spends so much time in the New Testament, we just end up accidentally mimicking the New Testament church, you know, by having these itinerant preachers, by sharing these meals together. So um, that's just really cool. I think it's really cool. And I want us to continue to find ways to be more of a New Testament church. Okay, final word. These are just some examples. Um, I want you to be in your Bible, reading your Bible, and helping to make our church better. I've said that a couple times. Read your Bible, look at what we do as a church, ask yourself, are we doing what the Bible is saying? And if not, let us know. If we need to do something else, let us know. If we need to stop doing something because you see something in the Bible, let us know. We're not this authority structure that's going to say no. Like, we all submit to the Bible. I want to close out and I want to read our passage from John 17 one more time. In John 17, verse 16, he says, They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Right? We don't, we don't mimic 
worldly structures. We don't have presidents and elections like we belong to God. We don't, we're not part of the world. He says, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. This is where we derive all of our truth. Not from a creed, not from my preaching, from God's word. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, and I set myself apart on their half so that they may be truly set apart. He says, I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. That's us. We're the ones who believed in Jesus through their testimony. He's praying for us. He says that they will all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. We are only Christians. We're not the only Christians. We are one church. We are part of God's one church. Because the glory you gave to me, I've given to them so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world will know you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. This is our final, final principle here. I want us to be a love-based church. Because at the end of the day, we can have all the biblical principles and leadership and structure and do all the right practices and have all the right doctrine and all the right theology, and that's good and important, but if we're not a church that loves, we're doing it wrong. Paul says, I can speak in the tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just a noisy, clangy symbol. So let's be a love church. Let it be a love, church that loves one another and loves the world that we're out trying to reach. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for allowing us to be part of your church. Father, I ask as we go out into the world today, today that you would just help us to reach people for the gospel, that you would help us to preach your word, that you would help us to be faithful students of your word. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.